there's a correct way to do a license in this thing we call designer vinyl or whatever you want to call it, designer yeah. toys. And there's a wrong way. And uh, us as older artists or artists that have been fortunate enough to be in multiple series, you can't expect, you know, the coach to call you off the bench every game. And Kano loves to blame me. Kano, <laughs> if you're listening, I know you love to blame me. Hey, toy family, this is the Marsh Amp Toy Hour, where we discuss anything and everything designer toys. I'm Gary Ham. I'm Teresa Hawkins. Teresa, once again, no George, but for good reason this time. He's um, he's getting married this week in two days. I know, so he has a completely valid excuse. I'm super excited for him and Jess, so I hope they have a fantastic wedding, and I can't wait to get George and hopefully Jess on to tell us all about it. I hope so. I miss George. It's been a while, and Jess, too. We haven't talked to the new. Well, they'll be newlyweds next time I talk to them, so maybe we can play the, the newlywed game with them. We can get another artist couple. We can have newlywed game and all that sort of fun stuff, but it won't be next week because, you know, we're recording every other week now, so it'll be... Uh, not next week. April 30th? They'll come back on? April 30th? You mean August? <laughs> I mean August. I mean uh, August. <laughs> oh, man. I have to say, us going every other week is really weird. It's throwing me off, Gary. I feel like we don't talk anymore. You know, we've been doing this two and a half years, and you, you get in a routine. And so it is a little weird having, like, a weekend off. Where I'm like, why? I don't feel guilty watching a movie right now. Because normally I would be editing, but no. I kind of like this guilt-free weekend, but at the same time, I kind of miss talking to you guys every week. All right. Well, I'm glad you're at least getting some of the R&R in that we talked about, that, you know, you needed a little brain break. So yep. but we're that back. makes me feel a little bit. But yes, we're back. And we're back with a guest. We are. And we, we got a great guest tonight. I, this is a guy I've been trying to get on for a while now, and it's finally worked out. So I'm happy to say that this, our tonight's guest, he's OG. He's been a designer and customizer in this so-called designer toy scene for 14 years now. He began his toy career in 2004 by being uh, an artist in the very first Dunny Artist Series, and he never stopped. He has self-produced toys and worked with just about every company that's dabbled in toys. He's probably best well-known for his condiment series seen on products from Dunny's to fire extinguishers. So let's welcome the king of condiments himself, Sket. Hey, Sket. Hello. How's it going? Good. How you doing? All right. Everything's good. So we dropped the one, did we? What's up? Did you drop the one? I know recently it seems like you've been going by Sket, not necessarily Sket 1 anymore. No, sometimes people refer to me as Sket. Sometimes people refer to me as Sket 1. Uh, I always wrote Sket 1. It has, like, the number thing has to do with graffiti and being the first person to grab that particular name. Right. It's uh, something that you do early on in graffiti. So, uh, yeah, the name just stuck with me. So, I mean, I still, when I sign things, I sign them Sket 1. But some people refer to me as Sket, and some people Sket 1, and some people by my government name. You know, so. <laughs> government name. That's the first time I've ever heard that one. <laughs> you know, speaking of your your government given name, and your when you were given that, you know, when I invited you to come on the show, I, I usually when I do it, I figure I have a one in three hundred sixty five chance of it being someone's birthday, and uh, it actually. So I'm scrolling Instagram today, and is it your your wife? Uh, is it your wife or fiance? A fiance, soon to be wife. Okay, so I'm scrolling through Instagram. I come across a post from Jamie Lee, and it is a stepbrother's poster with your faces superimposed over the characters. <laughs> and you're wearing a birthday hat. So I'm like, oh crap, is it Sket's birthday? And then I read the comments, and sure enough, it's your birthday. 
So I instantly DM Teresa, just letting her know it's her birthday. Just expect you're probably not going to show up. I'm sure you have better things to do. Just be prepared for it to be you and I tonight. But here you are. You're here on your birthday. So all the guests who had lame reasons for not showing up, Skit's here on his birthday. So I appreciate that, Skit. Oh, yeah. Of course. It's Trust me. It's it's not like it used to be. It's just another day in the book. <laughs> and you get my age. So... It is. When you get to our age, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 44. Yeah, birthdays and... Yeah, I'm 47. Now 48, so... Okay, that's... 48 young. Let's get... I should start off by saying congratulations on your long career in toys. I mean, it's, that's no easy feat to do, to remain at the top. And like I mentioned in the um, the intro, you started out in 2004 with Kid Robot, and you, you were one of the few artists in the very first Dunny series. And fast forward to today, it's 14 years later, and you're helping Super Plastic kick off janky series one with them yeah uh-huh. that's, that's nuts that you're kind of i should <laughs> i should probably say like this is why people have a tough time breaking into our toy scene because the old farts in the toy scene they don't go away it's 14 <laughs> years, it's 14 years later and you're still taking spots in all these uh, awesome toy series what's going on uh i think it's just um you know the people that are in charge of a lot of things now you know, have been fans for a long time or like working with a specific person. And uh, some of the artists have a really good fan base, you know, and yep. they look they look to bring that artist's fan base over to a new series or a new platform or whatever it be new. I honestly think that our whole scene, so to say, has grown so much that there's plenty of room for everybody, you know, as far as making it or breaking it. Like if if you were around back in 2004 and, you know, you're around today, it's literally totally different. It's transformed itself over those 14 years. I mean, ridiculously. For sure. I mean, just speaking, just looking at the, the two series that you're in, I mean, the first Dunny series, you kind of look at it today and it's, they were very simple and almost crude in design compared to what they're able to do with pad printing and mass and all that additional scope that we're now seeing in Dunny's and platforms. So, I mean, things have really greatly changed in the past 14 years for sure. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I mean, even everyone's design skills have grown and what you can do, what you can't do and uh, what materials you're able to use. Sometimes you don't even need to work with a company, you know, and that's the thing. I think a lot of people are self-producing nowadays. You know, we went through the whole platform toy phase where there was every, every, every platform you could think of out at, I would say, you know, between 2008 and 2010. I just saw so many different people make toys. Right. And so many different platforms come out. It's just, it's grown so much. It's it's crazy to see the growth. So many platforms. I mean, nowadays it seems like we've kind of weeded out some of the weaker pieces and now we're finally down to, I mean, Dunny hasn't gone anywhere in 14 years and you got Bear Brick and um, Android and some of the stronger ones. But I remember you talking about just how many there were at one point. I think it was around 2008, 2009-ish, I went over to um, the DKE warehouse and Dove Kellimer, he he seemed to collect a lot of the blanks, and on his back wall in his office was just, I don't know, it must have been 40 to 60 just different blank platforms. Yeah, I mean, that's honestly, that's kind of where the whole condiment idea came from, because when I did the condiment thing, it was more of the statement of the scene at the particular time, you know, it had to do with, you know, literally you can go into a toy shop and there was just platforms lined up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you could really choose, like, there was just all these brands. And that's when Toy2R was involved, and they had all their platforms. 
and Kid Robot had money coming out and all their platforms. And then you had regular designers releasing their particular designs. And of course, the first one they would release would be a blank. So you had all the independent stuff too. So yeah. it was crazy. What's the biggest change that you've seen in your long career? I would think it has to do with people being able to do things themselves and not having to rely on a company to make it, you know, or break it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you have not a large amount of money, but a decent amount, it is not cheap. I can tell you that much to produce <laughs> your own stuff. But I mean, if you have a decent amount of money, you can produce a decent product at a decent price. And yeah, that's the great thing about it is it's low numbers. No matter what you're going to do, they're going to be low numbers. So the collectability is there. And nowadays you have things like Instagram and of course all the social media outlets that weren't as popular Yeah. You know, back in the day, but now it's just so popular. So you have this whole marketing tool that you could use to get your work out there also. You know, so I, I mean, it's it's literally changed. If you decide to, oh, I want to be in toy culture, mm-hmm. you can do it from your house. You know, I used to, I lived in Connecticut and uh, I lived in New Haven. And that was about an hour and 45 minutes, maybe an hour and a half from New York City. Okay. So in 2004, anytime I wanted to take part in something or wanted to show up, everything was out of brick and mortar. So I would have to get in my car and drive to it to, to take part in that particular event. Right. So I was going to New York maybe like twice a week, three times a week to go to art shows, to show my face, to meet people, network, et cetera. And, uh, you know, that's gone away too. I mean, there's still art shows and stuff like that, but not, I wouldn't say it's as common in the toy industry as it was back in the day. I, I 100% agree. I started collecting in 2003, producing 2000, I don't know, seven, eight, something like that. And I do remember the days of every single weekend, it seemed like there was a custom event going on at a brick and mortar location somewhere. And that was really how you would break into the toy scene. I mean, to get noticed, I guess you would really, it was largely because there was no social, not much social media at the time. So it was largely based on getting your work seen by the toy blog. So we would be sending customs into a Spanky Stokes, Vinyl Pulse, Plastic and Plush, Toys Are Evil. Those were all the big blogs back then. And from there, you would hope that a brick and mortar location would see your work on a toy blog and then want to invite you to, to participate in one of the custom events. And then from there, I'm, the hopes of most people was that somehow, some way, a toy company would then reach out to you and want to produce toys with you. And I think for most people, almost everybody, it was Kid Robot. I mean, to get be a part of a Dunny series back then was was everything in the world. I mean, it had so much clout to it. Like to be in a Dunny series back then was basically saying, "Hey, you've arrived. You know, you've been recognized." And you kind of skipped that whole process because in 2004, you were one of the few artists in the very first artist Dunny series. Yeah, I did. You know, I mean, it was weird. The whole thing started for me, of course, like most things start. You know, it was by accident. At the time, I was doing a graffiti show, uh, which was about Vaughn Bodie, who is an artist. I don't know if anybody's familiar with him, but he was an old cartoon artist, underground artist, and he created characters like Cheech Wizard, and there's a bunch of other characters within his comics. And I used to hold an event every year where we used to paint all his comic book characters, and Mark, his son, used to come down from Massachusetts. And Mark hit me up, and he said, I'm heading to the city, and I'm going to meet 
um, we're making a Cheech Wizard toy. You should come in for the show. And I said, okay, that sounds cool. Yeah, I'm definitely going to come. And at the time, I was already familiar with Kid Robot. And, you know, I was buying Kid Robot stuff offline. And uh, I got introduced to Tristan at the show. And me and him were talking. And he handed me a DVD of a Dunny template. And he was like, you know. If you, <laughs> a DVD. Like, I know, a DVD. Okay. At least it's not a floppy disk. And he was like, yeah, he's like, here's a template, you know, if you know Illustrator and you do graffiti, you know, do some designs. And I was like, yeah, I could totally do this. I'll get it to you in a couple of days. And it's exactly what I did. And I sent it to him and I was like, oh, you know, if something happens, it happens. But it wasn't anything I was really like, oh, my God, I need this to happen. Yeah. It was more like, oh, if this happens, it's cool. You know, because I was doing a lot of graffiti at the time. And that's where my focus was. I mean, with my day job, of course. And then... um. Yeah, once he was like, uh, yeah, dude, we're going to take this design from you and it's going to go in series one. I was like, cool. And then I went down to one of his art shows in the city and he showed me the prototype. And that's when I was like, holy shit, this is real. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like when you hold your first design in your hand, that's when it's like, holy shit, I produced a toy. Yeah. You know, and it's 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 a pretty crazy feeling. It's pretty awesome. And then. Once we had the release for Dunny Series 1, Tristan was like, I, I want to have canvases from all the artists at the show. And, uh, you know, I went to art school and I've done canvases before, but I, I, I honestly, I did not touch a canvas in probably <laughs> 10, 12 years. And uh, I was like, okay, uh, all right. <laughs> and that's, that's when everything just started to kind of like just take off, you know. Yeah. It was like one thing after another because of my canvas. I got a show at the Kid Robot show in San Francisco. I got a show at the Kid Robot store in New York. So I had to produce work for that. It was like because of the toys, everything else started to take off, you know, for me. Because I had to support it through promotion, you know? Yep. No, totally. And nowadays, you don't have to do any of that. I mean, honestly, you could do it all from your desktop. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, you know, you went you went starting with working with Kid Robot, and now it seems like these days you're mostly just doing stuff on your own. You know, do you, well, do you prefer it? <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm still doing stuff with Kid Robot. I have things, of course, I can't discuss, but there's a lot of things coming down the pipeline. With so, Kid Robot? Okay. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm working with Super Plastic, and of course, because, you know, <laughs> I, I, Huck and Paul are great people, and... And, uh, you know, and I still produce stuff on my own, but producing stuff on my own is a lot different because the price point on producing stuff your own, um, you can't really wholesale it. No. And the thing, here's the thing. It's like the high end custom work stuff that I do, like my dunnies and stuff that has a price point that reflects the actual piece. But if I wanted to do something for the public, that's like, say, 30 to, you know, 60 to $70 range. It's really hard to do that by yourself unless you go to China, and then that's a lot of money. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a good point. I mean, it makes sense for you, I guess, as an artist to be able to do both is really great because you've got a kid robot or super plastic helping produce stuff that they can sell at a low dollar amount for people to say, hey, I've got some pieces made by Sket. But then on the other end, you're doing stuff that's more high-end, limited self-made so you kind of can balance and have both can i just say i haven't fully adjusted to this kid robot super plastic thing yet i know they're two separate companies but budness is part of both huck was part of kid robot for for so long so it's kind of strange to hear that 
they're, they're are they're not the same anymore. They're they're two separate groups. Yeah, they definitely are. And you know, it's like, uh, how can I? You know, I mean, Paul had his time at Kid Robot, and he got out, and he started to make bikes, and from that point forward, you know, he really didn't have any involvement in Kid Robot anymore. Yeah. You know, I dealt with Bob Africa, and then, of course, I dealt with Frank after that. Yep. And uh, when Huck decided to go with Paul, you know, Huck was kind of calling it quits and retired, you know. And yep. he was basically going to hang up his gloves and get a 9 to 5. And Paul was the one to be like, no, you can't, you know, you have to get back into it. And he should because, you know, Huck's super talented. He's super skilled and you know, he has a great body of work and a great history within our industry, and he should be w exactly where he is. Oh, definitely. You know? so, I, yeah. So it's like, Have the dynamics been different working with Kid Robot versus working with Super Plastic? Um, yeah, I'd say there. I mean, it's just like working with two different companies. Yeah, there's different, you know, they do things differently than Kid Robot does, you know, and it's just the way the the blueprint of that particular company is laid out. Mm -hmm. You know what I I don't know if that makes any sense. And what I'm trying to say is like the people I deal with at Kid Robot and the communication ladder and all that kind of stuff in the production is different than the blueprint over at Super Plastic and the communication I have with them and how they go about doing things. Sure. Okay. You know, yeah. it's also, they're also at the beginning stages, super plastic. So it's, it's, you know, they still have a lot of chess pieces to move into place to make their moves, you know? Yeah. They don't even, I mean, do they even have a physical product yet? I don't even think they do. I've yeah. seen, I've seen test poles. I saw some gold slippers just the other day. I, so they're there. I mean, they're, they're getting there, but no, we have not seen actually like a fully painted figure just yet. But in the difference too, I think, you know, super plastic is just starting out. So I would imagine they're still very small. I still imagine it being Paul and Huck and then maybe one or two other people, like interns or someone helping out on marketing and stuff like that. But Kid Robot is much bigger. They have devoted people for every aspect within the business and, and all that, like you said, different ladders for different things too. And then when you're talking about working with um, the different you know iterations within the company. So you, you've worked with Budnitz, you worked with Bob Africa, now you're working with Frank. When there's a change in role players or creative directors, do you notice it? Does it always feel like it's the same Kid Robot or does it feel like there's different stages where you say – there was, you know, a new kid robot, an old kid robot, Frank's kid robot. You know, what's been your perspective on that, having worked with them for so long? No, there's definitely stages. There's, I mean, at the, from 2004 to the time they moved to Colorado, which was, I can't remember what year it was, 2009, maybe 2010. Sounds right, uh, right. That was like the kid robot I loved. That was friends and family working for kid robot within I would go into the city and go up into the offices and I would just know everybody at every position mm -hmm. and I would travel with these people. We would go to parties. We would be in different countries together and it was just like a family, you know, yeah. it was straight up family. And when, then when it moved from New York to Colorado, that's when everything was disbanded. Like right. a lot of people left. Um, it was kind of like a very sad point in Kid Robot for me. You know, just because I knew that, you know, I wasn't going to have that kind of connection with those people anymore because everybody left. 
Yeah, yeah, and I've heard all that too. I know that the move from uh, New York to Colorado definitely changed things. I know I've heard a lot of integral players that was part of Kid Robot New York did not make that move. And one name I've always heard was Baroness, Nicole Nicole Baroness. She didn't make that move. And she was, I guess, really a large player within Kid Robot. She was the one that did a lot of artist management and relations and putting together shows and trading parties and you know doing spectacular events she was a large part of what kid robot why kid robot was what it was back in the day and so her not making that move i'm sure that definitely definitely played a part and paul budnitz came on this podcast and talked about the move too and he agreed it probably wasn't the best decision for kid robot to leave the you know the art creative urban feel that is new york city to uh, an outdoorsy laid-back kind of colorado town so then Paul ended up selling his portion of the company, moving on, like you said, going on and doing Budnitz bicycles. And so I don't know. It's kind of he made, you know, they made the move. And I don't know if they ever fully adjusted to life in Colorado. It's definitely not the same as it was when they were in New York. But I have no idea. Yeah, I don't. I don't know either. I mean, I visited the Colorado office, but I might know three people in there, including Frank. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's just, it's not like it used to be, you know, where I would walk in and I would just be like, go hang out in this person's office for an hour and then go get lunch with five people. And yeah, it was just a lot more family. Yeah. I mean, that sounds nice. And it sucks when you kind of know all the players in a company and you've built personal relationships beyond just the professional. And when you lose that, it kind of sucks. Every time you work on a, a project, you're working with someone new. And so, I mean, I get that. But it's great to hear that you're working back with Kid Robot in a more capacity situation because it seems like over the past several years, a lot of the big players that they used and worked with a lot in series and stuff, they haven't. They kind of drifted away a little bit from using some of those artists. And it does seem like a new family has developed over at Kid Robot. And so it's nice to hear that they're they're continuing to work with you and, and make new projects with you. I think... I think, you know, when it comes down to it is there's got to be some sort of rotation. You know, even even the old kid robot would bring in new artists and they would have new people in series and stuff like that, you know. And uh, us as older artists or artists that have been fortunate enough to be in multiple series, you can't expect, you know, the coach to call you off the bench every game. You just have to understand that this is your place. And if you get an opportunity, you have to be as grateful for that opportunity as the person trying to get the opportunity for the first time yep now if you start phoning stuff in you know like (laughs) like a lot of people will say like i heard that yeah i phone stuff in with condiment stuff but i mean you have to take into account your fans and what people you know love from you and what people don't love from you Mm -hmm. and of course you want to make the right marketing move too for the company i mean you can't i mean me personally I, you know, when I think about designing something or about submitting a design, I think about, I'm like, I hope I'm like every other designer. You know, I think about cost. I think about the efficiency of my design and how it's going to pull through and it's not going to drain Kid Robot or the producer's pockets and how much are my fans are going to like this and how I'm going to support this and when is this going to drop. And, and nowadays it's totally different. You know, you barely have signings anymore. You know, if you get in a, if you actually have your, your, your piece drop at an event, say like a comic con or say like that, like that's awesome mm-hmm. because it, then you have some dollars behind it. But a lot of companies are just going to post it up online and be like, oh, we have this yes. for sale, you know, so it's, it's changed a lot. So, I mean, I'm just trying to say that, 
I don't think anybody should phone in. And I think everybody should really take into consideration what they're doing for their fans and for the community and put out really good stuff. I mean, the last, uh, uh, the Scott Tolson, the curated one that he just did, the cryptid. I love that. I love that. That series is, I mean, it's all new sculpts. It's, you know, everyone's using different materials. It's like a really cool looking series. You know, I mean, and the people that are involved in it is a great mix, you know. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> and while I, oh, we're echoing a bit, you know, I I think it's a good point, Gary. Like bringing back some of the artists who were doing stuff back in the beginning and letting them come back and make new pieces, I think is great. But I also like that Kid Robot has been trying to reach out on the artist side and pull new people in because, you know, as you were saying, Sket, the you know, the community has evolved and grown and there's lots of great people out there and lots of great artists. And so I, I like seeing the mix as a collector and seeing artists that have never gotten a production piece get one before, as well as bringing back people like you to come make more great stuff. So I'm excited to hear you've got more coming, but I'm also excited to always see new artist stuff, too. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you guys mentioned the City Cryptid series. I mean, that series, there was several new artists that have never done a Dundee design before. And it's not like they were newcomers. You know, they're not up and coming. These are artists that have been around for a while, very established, yep. large fan bases and stuff. But they have never done a Dundee. So good on Scott Tolson for curating and, and Kid Robot for, you know, letting these artists design a Dundee. And um, I think we're going to see a lot more of that in the future for Kid Robot. So that's awesome. And I imagine when you're curating and developing a series, I like seeing a sprinkling of you know, a very well-established artist and introducing new new blood to the toy scene. I think that's fun. I mean, that's why I prefer mixed artist series over a single artist series because I think mixed artist series, generally there's something always in there for me, and I think that's the same for a lot of collectors. I think it gets more of the community involved versus appealing to that one single artist fan base. And, you know, going back to what Sket was saying about artists phoning it in or kind of doing the same thing over and over. I mean, that's kind of what you got to do with a gallery and a toy company in a sense because they're investing in you. They're wanting to continue selling to that right. fan base that they spent the time developing. You know what I mean? So it's like if you're wanting to, as an artist, wanting to develop a new style or a new approach or do something new, most galleries and artists aren't going to want to take that ride with you because that's a risk to them. You know, they want to continue selling to that fan base that has been following you and supporting you all this time. And they kind of want you to stay in that same wheelhouse. So that's why a lot of the time you are seeing artists kind of kind of doing the same thing for the most part. All right. So I'm going to I'm going to ask stupid for a second. What do you all mean when you say phone it in? <laughs> phone it in means like um, if somebody was to say like a sketch going to do a design and I bet you 100 percent it's going to be a condiment series because that's a safe bet. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. Like, like, okay. you know, uh, you know, take any artist's thing or what they're known for. And a lot of people will say that's phoning it in. Um, okay. You know, it's Versus just like expanding or trying something new. But trying at the same something time, new, like, right. It's okay. just it's just an opinion. You know, it's okay. that's all it is, is an opinion. You know, personally, I I think about it deeper than that, you know. Like, you know, Gary said it, and you can alienate fans. Um, there's a lot of ways you can alienate fans. You know, I've seen a lot of artists produce a ton of work in a short amount of time, okay? And when that happens, personally, what I see is you're, you're alienating your fans because they don't have the money to collect all that stuff that you're producing in that short amount of time. Mm-hmm. 
So now, now they're like, okay, I really want that, but I really want that one too. And they're making decisions, which if you spread out your releases, then, you know, you're giving your, your fans a chance to actually collect your work and to be involved in your work rather than being like, that dude's releasing way too much shit. I can't afford it anymore. I'm going to stop collecting him. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's actually a really solid point that I've never really, I've never had to think about, I guess, as a collector, but it's, it's super smart. Cause you're right. I mean, the, the scene is so big constantly. I'm messaging Gary and I'm like, Oh my God, I want to buy this, but I want to buy that. And Oh my God, this. And so you have to choose, right? You have to sit and say, what am I going to buy? And if you were really into a specific artist and that artist is pumping out so much stuff, you end up either just picking one of the few or just being like, well, I can't give up. Or you could, you could do something like um, what Scott Tolleson does. He works in a variety of different styles. So he probably has different types of fans for certain things. They're not collecting everything Scott Tolleson because they're, He's got cute. He's kind of got the gross and grotesque looking stuff. Yep. So it's like he branches out. He'll, you know, he does the cooking no good, and that's for people like you, Teresa. And then he does dad bod, dad beat, and that's that is not for you. And it's it's for a different, completely different fan base. So that's another approach. If you want to keep producing and doing different things, you got to make sure it's hitting different markets, and that's where you'll kind of spread the money around. And I totally agree with that, and I've totally done it myself. You know, yeah. I, I I do a lot of Star Wars art. I do a lot of, um, you know, graffiti art and my mural art and uh, a lot of illustration. And it's sprinkled throughout different products at different price points. I, I definitely take note as into, you know, I don't want to. Um, I know everyone can't afford a $500 custom. I get I get <laughs> What are you that. talking about? <laughs> I get that, you know, and I, I want people to be able to have stuff. That's why having, you know, three inch production figures is like, you know, I feel like is a key point to to my career. You know, I, I want people to be able to get introduced to my history of artwork through, a, you know, a 13 or $15 toy. Yeah. Speaking of that, you know, right now I feel like and, and granted, I guess the things I see of you that I definitely uh, pay most attention to is the condiment type stuff. Like you just did that honey bear, which is a super freaking adorable. Amazing. And kudos because that was so, so cool. But I feel like from when I see the stuff you self-produce, you tend to stay in that eight inch, $500 ish range. And then you only got the sort of kid robot production stuff on the low end. But I don't really feel like I see a lot of that in between like a hundred dollar piece or what have you, whether it's like a three inch version of your eight inch or anything like that. And I'm just curious why you don't seem to, and maybe I'm just missing it or not as familiar, but is that just an area you don't see yourself wanting to play in of self-producing like say three inch versions of your eight inch at like a hundred, $150 price point. That's lets people get a hundred there. <laughs> I laugh because I think I know who's got, how he's going to answer. So go have at it, Scott. I have a bunch of other items like um, I did the syringe needles. You know, that was more of an art piece, and that was like a hundred and change. I did my milk character and my Clorox character from the Hood Good series, and those were like underneath a hundred dollars, but they were low numbers. I release other things. I don't release three-inch dunnies. The reason why I don't release three inch Dunny is because I'd rather have those produced as production figures than customs. Um, three inch Dunnies are just, there's, uh, they just don't hold presence, you know, like an eight inch piece does. And I could create and do so much more with an eight inch piece at that size 
than I could do with a three inch. Like if I did a run of three inches and sold them for a hundred bucks, I did it. I did it once, and I did it with Dodger. Um, we did it as a bootleg piece, and it's just the quality of what I expect from doing resin customs just wasn't there. And I just, yeah, I just don't feel like it's I could do that, you know. <laughs> All right, let's get real. I, let's get real for a second, Trees, because I know as a collector, you see things very differently than Sket and I see things as an artist. Like as as an artist. Working on an eight-inch platform and a three-inch platform really isn't that much different. Time and effort is pretty much about the same. But I know collectors they'll look at that eight-inch honey bear and they're like, "Oh, four hundred bucks. Could you make it in three-inch for a hundred bucks?" And it's that's <laughs> not how it works. Because an artist would rather make a five hundred-dollar piece, sell ten of them, and make five thousand dollars versus having to make. I don't even, only hope. I don't even know how many three-inch <laughs> ones you would have to make to make that same type of money, and you'd, have, you'd probably be working four, ten times as hard. That's and that's why someone like Scott who's doing like real high-quality resin poles and a lot of customizers, we just can't. There's really not that much of a price shift from an eight-inch to working on a three-inch. It's, I but I know you as a collector, you you look at that three-inch one and see only fifty dollars to a hundred dollars in a price range. Yeah, it's um yeah, it's exactly that, but at the same time, I also like here's a perfect example is the Sket Racha, okay? Okay. Um I did the 8-inch custom first and uh, you know, great things came from the 8-inch custom and then once the 3-inch came out, not only did 100 people get it, thousands of people got it, you know? Right. People who don't even collect toys got it. And it brought in so many more new fans. And that's what I would like the three inch to actually do. You know, I would actually like it to be accessible for everybody and not to break the bank. You know, yeah. I mean, I'd feel guilty, honestly, asking for a hundred dollars for a three inch. I, I really would. Right. I would. Yeah. It, I ask selfishly, I think, because one, <laughs> I'm a small toy collector because that's just who I am. Like, I like smaller things. And because. I, like I love your honey bear, but I can't swing. Like I couldn't swing it. You know, I couldn't. Like I would love to, but I couldn't. So I'm like, ah, oh, I want it. So all I can say then is, I hope somehow you produce it with Kid Robot. All I can say is, if it. you want, send them, <laughs> all you have to do is send them a nice email and be like, it would be great if you had Sket One produce three inch honey bears. That's all. I you mean, have to do. dude, I saw. <laughs> I I was paying attention to the comments. I mean, come on. <laughs> if, if, if they're not considering producing a three inch, honestly, I would love to see a five inch because that's about the right size of the real condiment. So I would love it to be a five inch, but I understand all the other ones have been three inches. So better to match the line that's already been produced, produced in the, in the past. But once the cat is done, they can do whatever they want. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of related to this. I'm thinking about care robot producing your customs. I'm Quality. just curious. Well, yeah. Well, I'm just curious because, um, like your sketch rotches. Yep. The the way they were produced was different than the typical dunny. Like it was more of like a uh, like a hollow plasticky. I'm probably describing it wrong, but it was more of like a plastic than like a vinyl. Right. Was that it's... was that your choice to push for that particular approach? Well, ABS plastic, uh, you can get a clear plastic, and because we were doing the half used. Uh, it was decided to go with uh, ABS, and uh, 
And um, you can print better on ABS than you can vinyl. And there's a lot of small type on the actual design. So in having all those different elements going on, it just was the smarter move. Of course, trust me, you're never going to get the quality of a resin custom and what you can achieve in resin with vinyl. Never. It will never happen. And that's why the resin customs are so pricey and so high end. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we discussed it. We discussed doing it in vinyl and we discussed doing it in ABS and just ABS was a smarter move. Do you think going forward that'll be the a material of choice? Um, it depends. Yeah. I mean, if we end up doing stuff in clear and trying to uh, get that particular style of a bottle and stuff like that, it is the clear choice because it's it's clear. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, uh, clear vinyl is cloudy and it's not going to give you the same effect. It's almost like a, uh, like a ghosted or a frosted kind of, kind of clear. Okay. Okay, cool. I was just curious. And I, I mean, we can get into quality too, if you want, Gary, cause uh, I, no, I don't I, think there is because Scott already kind of touched on it. You're not going to get to, from his eight inch high end resin productions down to a three inch, you know, mass production done. The, the quality is going to be different. There are going to be sacrifices. You know, Kid Robot does have to sell these things for a 10 to $15 price point, whatever. So there's going to be sacrifices made in quality for sure. So there's, I don't think there's any reason to go into that. But So let's move on. But before we do that, let's take a quick break and uh, mention some of our sponsors. So for all your designer toy needs, wants, and desires, be sure to check out strangecattoys.com. When you go to strangecattoys.com, be sure you're, to use our promo code SOTERESA. It's all one word, S-O-T-H-E-R-E-S-A. Uh, if you use that at checkout, you'll receive 10% off your entire order. And also there is 3DRetro.com. 3D Retro also has a beautiful brick-and-mortar location out there in Burbank-adjacent Southern California. So if you're in the area, be sure to check it out. They host a lot of great events. I hear it's a beautiful store, so it's something that you won't want to miss if you're in the area. And for all your daily designer toy news, be sure to like and follow SpankyStokes.com and TheToyChronicle.com. And be sure to download the Toy Chronicle application at any one of your favorite application stores. All right, Skit, so we were just talking about your condiment series, and this is something I've always been curious about because when you work in pop culture and working with other brands and established RPs and, and kind of borrowing their signature and reapplying it into something that's kind of your own, I've always been curious, like, how often do you run into a situation with a brand, especially when you're mass-producing something like, you know, these condiments with Kid Robot? When you're doing that, do you run it by the company first or do you just forge ahead and kind of worry about maybe just getting a cease and desist later down the line? Well, on the, on the custom stuff, I just forge ahead. You know, I've only had one person come after me. The customs are such low numbers and they're such like, you know, they're parody pieces and done yeah. in, you know, an art form that they're just, it wouldn't really be worth it for the company to actually spend the dollars to have their lawyers actually send me a cease and desist. And by the time they did, it would be useless, you know, because it would be done and over with and already on to the next. So the um, the only time it happened was back in, I think, 2008 or nine. It was from Tabasco. And I actually just straight up used the Tabasco logo. I didn't change anything. I didn't change it to like, you know, sket Tabasco or uh, <laughs> Skit Basco. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Say, I, didn't <laughs> I, 
I didn't, I just ended up using Tabasco and, and yeah. they sent me a cease and desist. And I just wrote them back, not more of a, I didn't do it. I wrote them back as more of like, uh, how are you not using this as a great opportunity in marketing to, you know, reach a fan base that you might have never reached before? You know, because I never understood that. You know, it's like, why are you going to attack an artist for trying to put your place in pop culture? Right. And um, it, they dropped it immediately. It was nothing. Like, you know, I never heard from them again after I got it and I wrote them back. Okay. Uh, it's nothing I avoided. Um, Heinz, um, when we did the three inch Heinz stuff, Heinz contacted Kid Robot and they had concerns and they were like, you know, we don't want to get sued for this. But when I did the Heinz stuff, I know the copyright laws and all that stuff and i changed very minimal things and yes it looked like heinz but if you got down to the bare bones it wasn't heinz everything from pms colors to fonts to shapes of the shield and so on yeah so you know and it was great because here was the first example of how companies and say an art toy can come together and actually utilize this collab branding through an artist like myself heinz didn't really you know they let Kid Robot continue with the the series, and Heinz used Kid Robot in an actual uh, TV ad over in England. Um, oh wow! Yeah, it's a Heinz Beans ad, and I'm sure it's on YouTube if you look it up. Oh. And uh, the ad starts off with somebody opening the refrigerator, and the first shot is a Kid Robot doll. That's cool. And that happened because of what I did. Yeah. You know, and uh, that was kind of cool. You know, it was like, oh, cool. I made two worlds that had nothing to do with each other come together. And then I think when it like finally like took, you know, when it happened with Sriracha, it David Tran, the owner of Sriracha, just gets it. He 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 doesn't have a marketing department at Sriracha. He lets Sriracha, the sauce, do all its marketing for itself. He He's total grassroots. Uh -huh. He has no department. Wow. So. There was a show called L.A. Heat in uh, Los Angeles, and it was a show, an art show to honor Sriracha and Tapatio and being a Los Angeles staple and uh, both coming from immigrant backgrounds and stuff like that. So I was in the art show. I had my custom and I had my custom extinguishers and uh, David Tran loved the work. He was like, I want to buy it from you. And I was like, That's awesome. how about I said, how about if we trade? I said, you let me use your license and I'll give you the artwork. And he was like, fine, let's do it. Huh. And that's how the whole Kid Robot deal came about to, you know, produce large amount numbers of Sketracha stuff. And uh, he got it, you know, I mean, he got samples, he, so he sells them up at the factory. And uh, the same thing with the bear brick, you know, he got it. He was like, yeah, go ahead, do it up, you know. And that was great. You know, that was a great relationship where everybody made out. He got some cool toys and some marketing and Kid Robot got some cool toys and some marketing. And now, uh, you know, the future stuff, things are going to be kind of working that way where companies are coming together with me and producing stuff in the future. So um, there's going to be some really cool stuff coming. That's awesome. That's why I call you the condiment king. I, in the beginning, I could see where maybe companies would be like, oh, who's this guy kind of using our brand a little bit versus now you are so well known for this sort of thing. Like I can see where companies are going to start wanting you to come to you and wanting to work with you on this sort of stuff. So that's awesome to hear that that's, that might be coming true. Yeah. Growing up, I mean, basically the last 15 years for me, I've been in 
God, it's 20 now, I think. <laughs> I've, been do, I've been doing marketing. Yeah. And, you know, every, all these companies always come to us and they're like, oh, I'm looking for some cool, hip things to do that's not cheesy and doesn't come off in bad taste and da-da-da. And I've always been like, these particular brands have substance within my life. You know, they do. I don't, you know, I produce stuff that, you know, literally all of us, I think, have some kind of tie to it, whether it reminds you of summer, whether it reminds you of a specific time in your life, whether mm-hmm. it reminds you of just taste. Yeah. It's, it has that, it's like music, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, I just wanted to marry these worlds. And it's worked really well. It's worked really well for you. And congrats on that because and I like what you're saying about it having a, per, a personal connection to it. Because I think a lot of people would look at, you know, pop culture artists and people borrowing off of other IPs. They would see it as they and they do. I've, I've heard it before, you know, terms of coattailing and piggybacking. And, you know, if you don't have the license for something, you have no business doing it because it's, it's not your thing. And but I like the fact that you yourself have a very personal connection with it. Like this means something to you. You're not just going for the low-hanging fruit of making Harry Potter stuff because you know Harry Potter's going to sell. Like This stuff has meaning to you. And so in that regard, I think you are doing justice for the brands that you are borrowing from. Like, And you've already said that David Tran loved what you're doing. So I think that's great. And But what would you say to the people that would look at pop culture artists and stuff that you're doing and and say that you're a piggybacker or a co-tailor what would you say to those people i would i'm not gonna knock them because i've done it you know i've i am you know as long as they have good intentions behind it i mean i feel like every art i mean frank has a you know frank has a history of it himself you know and um it's a part of our culture you know there is a whole you know the whole rave scene during the 90s borrowed everything you know what I mean? There was T-shirts, the flyers, just everything was like literally ripped off from something or came from something or was borrowed from something. It's just culture, other culture, bar, um, other parts of our, you know, life and our history. You're grabbing it and using it. And yeah, if you're trying to bootleg it and sell, you know, 50 million, you know, T-shirts. Yeah, that's yes. a little bit, that, that's, that's a little bit dirty. Yeah. If you're trying to sell Louis Vuitton bags, yeah. you know, out of the back of a van. Yeah, you're missing the point. Like you're not trying, <laughs> you're not trying to send a message through art or express something through art. You're, you, you're trying to capitalize and actually, you know, make right. some money off of bootlegging. I, I feel like there's a very fine line between bootlegging and art. And it was funny because Tristan posted about it the other day. You know, he said, out of all the people bootlegging my stuff, he, he gives me a pass because I give him something every time. <laughs> and I don't look at it as bootlegging. You know, I really don't. You know, if you're literally selling thousands and thousands and you're straight up bootlegging, then I get it. Like, I've seen Luke Chu go to China and there's T-shirts of his paintings that, you know, are all over the place. Yeah. And that's straight up bootlegging, you know? Yeah, it's just, it's funny you mentioned the whole Kid Robot thing because I was going to ask, like, you're obviously casting Dunnies and I know in some cases Kid Robot may not like that, but I guess you have permission? I haven't, I would say I don't have permission and I've been talked to about it before. You got your hand slapped? And, and uh, <laughs> we've had, you know, we have a relationship. We have an understanding relationship. And I'm not doing anything that's honestly, um, sometimes when I can use vinyl bodies, I'll use vinyl bodies and just get them repainted. 
Um, mm-hmm. It depends on all the effect. You know, I've invested. I mean, this. I'm not some guy who came out two days ago and started doing this. I'm somebody who is invested in the Kid Robot brand. And I actually, you know, I uh, Tristan created the Dunny shape. I have much respect for the Dunny um, out of all the particular platforms that are out there to choose from and to do my art with. So I think it's just uh, the relationship of what we have. We both benefit from it, yeah. you know, yeah. keeping keep, um, you know, like I said, the landscape of designer toys right now, it's just filled with so much stuff. And uh, the Dunny is a staple. And right. some people don't, you know, back in the day, it was only kid robot at the top of the ladder. And that's not the case anymore, you know. On the flip yeah, side just, of that, though, I know a lot of like newcomers are probably seeing people like yourself, you know, recasting dice. Because what we're talking about, Teresa, is I've always heard that Kid Robot would prefer people to buy a bunch of three inch vinyls or eight inch vinyls, and you have to hand paint one each individually. They don't want people recasting right, just yeah. from from the mold. But so it's okay. And I think what what happens is when you get someone like Sket who kind of has like. He's helped the brand out, and he gets kind of a pass on this sort of stuff versus someone else coming in and doing it. Because they also they also reverse license it back to the artists. You know, there's been a lot of deals like that where okay, that's what I was going to ask. Is it yeah, the thing? artist gives a, a cut to Kid Robot and okay. stuff like that. So I mean, it's it's honestly it's all worked out behind the scenes. Yeah, you know, because yeah, I know um, who else does it. Clutter well, has like, some stuff. Yep. Yeah, like. Task One, for example, he's been doing galaxy dunnies and like hologram dunnies and like it's clearly casted resin versions of them. And I've just been curious, like I I would imagine if if for some reason I said, screw it, I'm getting into resin. And I said, oh, I've got a three inch dunny. I'm going to go mold and pour it and do some stuff with it. I'd get pretty seriously yelled at. (laughs) But it seems like some people are out there doing it. So but it's hard to say who's kind of reverse doing because you mentioned Josh Kimberg's doing it for Clutter with the Octodonny. Tollison's doing it with the Shard probably because he's got even the boxes that say Kid Robot on it. So those are probably reversely done. But I know myself. So I did this custom three-inch a long time ago. It was a little Whooper Looper Dunny, and I had to actually put resculpt on four additional ears to get the Whooper Looper to pull off. And I got a huge reception for that. Tons of emails, people wanting me to make that. And I never pursued it because I didn't feel like that I could recast it. And I wasn't going to buy a bunch of dunnies to make the glue on the additional four ears and sand. It would have been a major pain in the ass. And the reason I didn't pursue it is because I felt that I wouldn't have permission to recast it. Well, Gary, sounds like you need to get that permission. And also, what we were talking about earlier, because it was three inch, they're they're not that easy to paint, and people would want them for a hundred bucks, and they would hardly be worth my time to paint them for a hundred bucks. You're making minimum wage at that point, so there's there's that part too. Yeah. yeah, you know what you need to do, Gary? You need to go buy a five inch, or I guess three five inch, <laughs> and make a new five inch version I'll do of that. it. And get Kid Robot's blessing to cast and sell it so we can all finally have Dunny Blooper Lippers. There we go, because the, ap- the application of those designs is, is really actually pretty simple, so it wouldn't be that hard to do. It's not a bad I, idea. It's funny because George is going to be so mad that he missed this conversation. I'm just going to put that out there. I know. He was bummed. He wasn't. I told him who the guest was this week, and he was bummed that he wasn't going to be on with you. But he's like, my mom's coming into town tonight. I got to go pick her up. And so he says hello. 
Oh, that's awesome. Jordan, <laughs> Do you think you're missing this Dunny conversation skit? I'm just missing that and missing the 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 uh, the duplicating and resin conversation. And it's it, in reality, it's a case by case situation. You know what I mean? The artist has to discuss this stuff if they're going to work with Kid Robot. You know, I've been doing customs for Kid Robot since day one. I mean, honestly, since day one, like my first custom ever was for, you know, a, a show at, that Tristan had, you know, and um, my second custom I actually gave to Tristan, you know, my third custom or that might have been my fifth that was a 20 inch Dunny, you know, at the 20 inch Dunny show. So, I mean, the difference came when you started doing one custom and then started go- doing 10 customs, you know, that's when the questioning all started and stuff like that. No, I get you. Like you said, it's a case-by-case basis, and it probably just depends who the artist is and whatnot. So, Okay, so when you're, t- when you're doing your, your honey dining and you're doing the pre-sales, is there like a, um, a maximum amount that you is not going to go over 100 or something like that? Or is it just how, however many ordered, you just fulfill all orders? I, you know, things have gotten, things have changed over the years. At one time, I would say, you know, we, I would maybe bank a decent amount at the very beginning. But now it's few and far between. I would say on the, the last two years of producing customs, if I break even of my costs, I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm I'm honestly, I'm doing this more for the love of doing customs than more than, you know, I don't this isn't my main job, you know. I don't <laughs> <laughs> That's why we keep our day jobs so we can do this toy stuff on the yeah, side. This it's is, yeah, exactly. It's not it's definitely it's not, you know, it's definitely not the thing that I would rely on. I do a bunch of different stuff and this is more for the love of the art and for the toy and for the platform and for my fans. Yeah. And the people that do collect this kind of stuff that are still out there. And I think it's, I mean, I think it's important to note that because I think as people come into the scene, like I'm familiar enough that I see your price tag and it does not, like, I totally understand it. It makes complete sense. But I know there's other people who come in and might look and go, how is that worth 500 bucks? But they don't realize all the amount and time and effort you're putting into your craft. And the fact that you're saying right now, like, Hey, if I just get my money back, I'm good. I mean, <laughs> crazy, right? Like it's, people don't realize how expensive it is to do this stuff. I think so many people think, oh, they're doing it on their own. They can just like whip that up and it costs like 20 cents to make. And it's like, no, <laughs> like that's, that's not at all the case. I get, I get the funniest, like the funniest questions all the time. Like for the majority, everyone thinks it's real. It's a real package, oh, you wow. know? Yeah. Is there real honey in it? And then when they find <laughs> out there's not real honey, they're like, are you kidding me for that price? <laughs> and, you know, they just miss the whole art and toy thing. And so there's those people. There's people that get it and are just like, that's cool. That's awesome. And, you know, of course, don't buy this particular kind of stuff. And then there's people that have grown. You know, they want to invest in, you know, they want to flip their investment they they've been buying three inches and they're finally at a point in their life where they can buy something a little bit more high-end and Mm -hmm. they can invest in a piece like that and uh the numbers are a lot lower than anybody could ever imagine uh i I don't release the numbers because i like to have that secret out there you know what i mean yeah how many are really out there and uh, it it does make it a little more mysterious 
yeah, I mean, when I when I ship them out and I ship them to like some countries that I'm just looking on a map, like oh. where the hell is that? You know, <laughs> and that's, a, that's a scary thing to send out something that's that expensive to some of these faraway lands. I, I mean, you never know what's going to happen with customs and all that sort of stuff. I know it's scary for myself, and it has to be really scary for you to send out something someone dropped five hundred bucks on. I protect myself as much as I can. <laughs> <laughs> You now, know. you talk about these limited run resins you do, and I know you tend to be like a one and done. You've done this honey bear. You've put it up for pre-order. It is now sold out. Whatever you has been ordered is what you're making. That'll be the end of it, right? Correct. So do you ever, but then there's times, right, well, where. I have, I have mine. I have, of course, I hold myself one for the archive. Okay. And, then one, and one for display. Okay. Do you, do you call it number but, 11? Uh, yeah, I get pulled up cheap. I just usually, they just usually just sit on my shelves or they sit in my archive. Like yeah. I just keep an archive of everything. We should all have oh, at least one. Yeah, no, you should totally keep one. But where I was going is, you know, you, you make these limited custom runs. There are times I could see like the Sket Raja, for example, you made a custom, then you end up making production versions of it. Do you feel like then you've taken a design you've quote unquote retired and brought it back to life. And is there issue with that? Like with the people who bought the custom be like, Oh, why'd you go do that? Or if, if you have the custom in front of you and you have the actual piece, the other piece in front of you, the production piece, there's no comparing the two. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's no, Oh my God, they look so much alike that, you know, there's just no comparison. Like the used Sketracha that I produced in resin looks so real and so authentic. I, I mean, you have to literally hold it and see it to believe it. Uh, when you hold the, you know, the production used, you clearly can tell that it's a pad printing or, the, you know, a paint on top of the actual ABS plastic and, you know, the, uh, the, the feeling of the ABS and all that. So I don't feel, I, I just feel like that design gets to be, plus there was a huge amount of time. I think there was about six years in between the custom release and when the uh, production figure came out. Um, And that's the only figure that it actually, you know, that particular thing happened. But uh, I've heard someone who has both and they, they weren't like disappointed. They were just like, yeah, there's no reason to buy it. You know, they had the custom. They felt they were just like, yeah, I have the custom. I much rather have the custom than the production piece. But the people who couldn't afford the custom now have a production piece and they happen to be content with it because they didn't spend $500. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's kind of the best of both worlds, right? Yeah. And um, it's like I said, it's the only design that would happen on uh, that it's happened on. And I don't see it happening in the future anytime soon. Boo. Well, I still need to write my letter about honey bear. So <laughs> <laughs> no, that, I, I definitely want that one. And I would love to have a little bit of squeeze to it, but I know that's not going to happen, but. Oh, man, yeah, squeezy. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. (laughs) Well, okay, so we've been talking a lot about condiments. Sorry, Gary, I have one more question. No, I know you're, (laughs) yeah, that's why why I'm here. (laughs) Yeah, so, so, you know, we're talking about all this work you tend to do on condiments, and then you get pulled into super plastic, and you didn't do a condiment. So (laughs) I'm curious. What's up, Skit? Why no condiment, Janky? You know, we, I actually did one in the mix. Paul is a uh, very creative person, and he likes to keep things fresh, and he likes to keep things new. 
and uh, it just happened. And it happened. They didn't pick that particular design. You know, yeah. like um, like any time I you know do a series, I submit a bunch of different fronts. That's all I do. I'll, I'll illustrate the fronts of the actual figure, and I'll do like I don't know anywhere from six to sometimes even ten. You know, and I'll be like, go ahead, choose. Yeah. Whatever they choose is what they choose. <laughs> yeah. And it does, I, it's kind of weird, but I, it almost feels like there's a loyalty to Kid Robot in that regard to have that condiment thing for Meal. I know it's not a loyalty thing, and really anybody and, and, and everybody should be able to have that from Meal. But in some regards, in this very niche, very small toy scene, it's kind of cool that that condiment thing is kind of mostly a dunny thing. And then off on your own, you're kind of doing them and fire extinguishers and a lot of other product. But at least as far as vinyl goes, it's, 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 it's on a dunny. Yeah. I, I kind of, like I mean, for, yeah, I've always, like I said, um, you know, I have a lot, I give props to Tristan at every turn I possibly can. You know, if it wasn't for him, I would never have been in this particular realm of my life. It just would have never have happened. And, uh, I have respect for my beginnings and where I came from and what I got involved in. And, you know, the Dunny shape is something that's very close to me. And I've, I've worked with and studied and know what works, know what doesn't work, know what I can do. And, and, um, you know, even in my customs, a lot of people will say, you know, when you do customs, they're very simple. And it's always been a big deal to me not to lose the shape of the actual platform figure. Uh-huh. Because the, 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 the shape of the platform figure is what the custom is all about. Like, I see a lot of other artists, they'll mold until the point where you can't even tell what the base figure is. And that's totally up to them. That's, you know, that's their choice and their prerogative. And, uh, you know, I respect it. You know, me personally, I want you to be able to look <laughs> at something and be able to say, that's a dunny. Yeah. Or, or that's a key or whatever. That's a money. So knowing that, I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, Tristan Eaton, he designed an amazing platform. The fact that it's still around and kicking and doing as well as it is 14 years later, I mean, that's a huge props just to the platform that he designed. Not many platforms could have the longevity that it has. And the fact that it means so much to you and a lot of other collectors, let's go back a year ago. Did it break your heart when you saw that it was licensed out to DC? Did you... Because I know a lot of collectors and artists, we all gave a, a unified sigh because we don't want that. We all kind of see the Dunny as a as an artist platform, not something that we want to see go out to other licensed <laughs> brands. So, what was your reaction when you saw those the Batman and the Joker in the Dunny form? You're talking to somebody who does license brands <laughs> <laughs> no but i understand but That's in the same true. regard like we <laughs> i think here's the deal if you're going i feel like with any licenses okay there's a correct way to do a license in this thing we call designer vinyl or whatever you want to call it designer yeah. toys and there's a wrong way to do it okay the wrong way is to basically do a shit job and slap stuff on and get it out the door Okay, if you take that license and you do it in a creative manner and have artists involved in it, an actual artist name, like perfect example, look at the stuff that, you know, Brant Peters and Tara McPherson have done with the DC stuff. Uh It's beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. And it's not off brand for 
you know, the comic characters they worked on, yet it still has their artistical touch that's you can look at it and be like, that's tight. And yep. <laughs> that's the right way to do licensed stuff. You know, that Dunny series did not have any soul. Agreed. It, did, it didn't have any soul. Yeah. So I'm not mad about the Dunny being licensed. I just feel like you have to have that soul and artistic touch to a license to make it feel worthy of the shape. That's, yeah. No, well said. Well put. I agree. That's it. You know, I didn't like that Dunny series whatsoever at all. I thought it was terrible, and that's I'm entitled to that opinion. Um, I do think the Dunny series could have been a lot better, but, you know, when you work with certain licenses, the licensor might not let you do certain things. Yeah. They might say, no, we don't like that, or no, you can't do that, or no, we don't want to use that particular time period for that particular character. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that you might have to battle with the license, and sometimes maybe the project's better off dead than trying to make you know a round peg fit in a square hole. No, exactly, and it's kind of funny because we, we've actually touched on this several episodes ago, talking about the licensors and how difficult they can be, and in, in, in very particular they can be, and the strife of dealing with them at, at sometimes. Because you know the collectors, we don't know what's going on behind closed doors, but we like to complain about what could have been, what should have been. But who knows? You know, I'm sure the creative directors of these companies and the artists, they've been fighting for probably the very same thing that everyone's complaining about, but they just weren't allowed to do it. Yeah. But. Yeah, and it probably could have, but then you get into like the economics of it. You know, did they have enough money behind the, you know, the, yeah. the series, and were they able to do like you know high end sculpts, and you know it would have been cool to have accessories pull off, and you know all this stuff. But you don't know unless you're the person behind, you know, you know you're the fly on the wall, and you're actually in the <laughs> meeting going through all that stuff. You right. know, it's it's I've been in those meetings and. You know, I've heard, I've, I've literally have done illustrations with great ideas and they're like, no, no, and <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so. so let's talk about, I mean, you've been doing this for 14 years. We all know as designing toys, you submit designs that never see the light of day. Any favorite products, that, you know, projects that you can talk about that never came to fruition? Oh, man, so many. <laughs> uh, um, I could think of one. The one with uh, Mighty Jacks never came through. The well, that the that's a that's a whole story within itself. Okay. That's that's a really big story. I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We need another whole show. A whole to, another episode for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a big like the whole thing was just. Uh, I'm glad what? that period of my life is over. Gary. <laughs> Do I know about this, or was this um, before me? This probably happened before you started collecting. I mean, if you just Google searched Sket Dripple, it'll probably Dripple? come up. Yeah, D-R-I-P-P-L-E. All right, let's see what I get. Oh, okay. But yeah, there was, was, was going to be a whole great. artist series, and I don't remember if it if it went, I, this was many several years ago, but I feel like it might have gone crowdfunding, or maybe there actually was money taken, and it just never happened. But I remember this is one of those things that came out, and I'm like, that's actually a pretty cool platform. I like the des- these designs, and yet here we are probably six years later, and I don't think I've seen anything ever happen with it. So it kind of sucks, because I think it did actually go to 
I think I do remember seeing actual in-hand painted samples from the factory, too. It's not like it just stopped at the vector form. I think you guys took it a far distance. But like you said, maybe this is something that's for another day. Yeah, it really is. I mean, there's a lot of legality issues that happened um, uh, with bad juju and uh, funding of bad juju. And uh, the person who was uh, uh, the president of the company and my partner and uh, a lot of stuff behind the scenes that a lot of people didn't know was going on. And yeah, yeah, I mean, we can get it's literally like a soap opera. And it's uh, (laughs) a toy drama. Yeah, it's definitely a period in my life that I, uh, I'm glad I'm past and uh, I learned a valuable lesson yeah. to, uh, to uh, just stay in control of my own shit. <laughs> and that's a tough thing like in this desire toy scene. There's not, always, there's not always contracts. There's a lot of trust. There's a lot of not you know, being paid up front in money. Like a lot of things, Teresa, a lot of this toy stuff is you're not paid in money. You said, hey, if you submit a design or design a series – We'll catch you on the back end with 10% of the run or what have you. So a lot of times when these projects fall through, Teresa, it's it's a lot of waste of time in artist's effort. I mean, sometimes if you know you do a design for a platform, maybe two years later, another platform might pop up and you're like, oh, you know what? That design that fell through will look great on this platform. Sometimes it does work out and pan out, but a lot of times it's a lot of headache and uh, despair for artists. Yeah, yeah. I, worked, I worked with... Um... Ka-Ching, who is mine style um, now. I did a whole series of uh, little characters. Um, they were called the Elementals. And uh, I did all the turnarounds for the whole series. And they ended up pulling prototypes. And they were presented at Toy Fair. And I was told they were coming out. And they never came out. Oh. And I never received anything. Oh, Not, nothing. I've done designs where, you know, I've done tons and tons of dunny designs that I've submitted and they've never gone anywhere. I've done tons of other platforms for, you know, any company that you could possibly think about there. I've worked with in some way. I went through, uh, there was a time where I ended up doing a, uh, uh, I worked with this uh, company called, uh, they were called IRT Rangers and then they went to Red Magic. Oh, yeah, Red Magic, yeah. Yeah, and they did. um, We ended up doing this huge project called the One Love Project, and I had a character come out called Oil at the time, and uh, they actually produced my figure, and they sent it, and they released it, and I was so excited about it, and then literally they dropped off the face of the earth, and everybody else involved in the project got dropped, and their product, I, I think mine and one other artist were the only two releases, and then they just disappeared. So many companies like that out there. I mean, like Dude Box, they popped up, had a few releases, disappeared. I mean, there's, you know, it's not just that company that you worked with. It's, it's been a handful. Yeah. Pop up yeah. and disappear. Well, it's funny because as a collector, right? Depending upon when you come into the scene, a lot of times you'll start digging into the archives, right? And you'll see this figure, and you're like, oh, that's really cool, like you know how do i get this and you realize oh like they made only a few and then like stopped like that dinosaur one gary the roar yeah the roar yeah i remember looking into that one and finding like kind of like with this dripple like i'd find like renders or sketches or stuff and i'm like okay like that had to be made right like where is that and you find out oh Mm -hmm. no like it just stopped (laughs) it just fell through for whatever reason i mean i remember i was a part of that series tallison 
uh, Jerome and Martin Shue. And I remember there were several artists yeah. that had done designs for this series. And I think maybe one or two artists actually did go to vinyl form or something like that. But yeah. for whatever reason, that company came and went. They just disappeared. And But what is it about this toy scene that we have so many companies that come and go just like that? Is it they think that there's money in this they're going to get rich in this teeny tiny little toy scene and i honestly if you don't have the passion for this scene that's exactly what's going to happen to you because you you do have to have uh the patience to uh spend the time that it takes to develop your reputation and make money in this toy scene you can't just like that that dude box company i mean i think i know the the owner of that company he owned some other big novelty company and he sold it and he had some money and he was looking for something to do and so they formed dude box and they made a bunch of lines huge release party making life-size versions of their product and he threw a lot of money at it and i don't think the dude box brand did that well out of the gate and they thing you know they they disappeared they didn't last more than a year so i don't know yeah i i i don't know why people come in you know the only thing i can kind of reach back to is what I've been through, you know, in my time, I think, uh, I don't know. There was a time where mind style had really bad artist relationship. You couldn't find an artist that would work with them, yeah. you know, and now you look at them and they're huge and they're involved with pop and they're, they're involved with other people and they're doing all this big stuff. You know, they're doing all Ron English stuff and everything. Mm-hmm. So pop life and yeah. So it's what happened with you in the company might not happen with another person in a company. Uh, some of the companies are people who are like you know, you know looking for the next big thing and they get rich and they don't know enough about it and then they get involved and they're like, okay, I'm stepping out. This is a loss. You know, I tried to uh, when I was with Bad Juju and my partner. You know, I tried to give him guidance and he wouldn't listen to me because he thought he knew better and uh, he didn't. <laughs> he didn't and uh um it's just yeah there's a lot of different factors you know people come and go yeah. I've, over the last 14 years i've seen you know i know art everything from artists to companies to friends i've seen people just leave and not ever touch it again <laughs> yeah i mean same there's a lot of the designers i miss and why does it always have to be the ones that i that are my favorites the ones that i used to collect a lot of like uh <laughs> geez tim biscup julie west i mean i know julie recently did something with kid robot with the care bear series but other than that she hasn't done anything designer toy wise in four six years and uh van meter he designed one of my favorite toys crappy cat yeah uh creatures another line that was one of my favorites uh jared deal there's just so many artists that kind of I collect. I was really a fan of, and then yeah, they're just have not been a part of this community in in many many years, and I miss them. And I would love to see what they would would do if given the opportunity to do something again today. Yeah, there's so many people like at the beginning, you know, a lot of Japanese people that don't ever do stuff anymore. Yeah, you know, and uh, I, I miss them, you know, because they're the ones that actually you know got me into this stuff, and their designs are the one that pushed everything at the very beginning. And uh, I miss their stuff. It's cool to see, you know, Michael Loud still doing stuff here and there. Yeah. But I wish people like Jason Sue, like Brothers Free, and a lot of the old school guys that did, you know, 12 inchers used to be a huge thing. And there's not many people doing that anymore. No. You know, it's more of like a gentle giant or a, what do you call it kind of thing now. You know, more licensed stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, license has become really huge since. You know, that's probably another one of the biggest things that's really changed since not only just self-producers, but 
the number of licensed properties that are now within the designer toy scene. And, and as far as like the 12 inches, really the only one that I can think of is probably like Quicks with his uh, Tech 63. That's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. But did we lose Teresa? I think like I haven't heard a peep from her in a while. <laughs> no, no, I'm honestly was, no, I was just like, you all were talking about people you miss and I was trying to rack my brain for what I'm like drawing a blank. I'll have to come in and pipe in when we pop it in the group. But I mean, I totally agree. I think, it's funny how things come and go and there used to be magazines. There used to oh be, God, yeah. you know, like playtimes and Flutter like, and, I mean, Flutter's still around, but like super uh, seven had one. There's a lot of different yeah. publications. Yeah. What was playtimes? It was uh, a Singapore magazine wrapped around designer vinyl huh. and it was great. You know, there's just all this stuff that was around and a lot of it's not around anymore, you know? No, not really. I mean, not even really Clutter that much. Clutter has a big presence with Five Points and their studio and their gallery. But as far as the publication anymore, I feel like I primarily primarily see the publication as a freebie handout that's given out at the conventions. I don't think I've seen a quarterly release in a while now. So, I mean, Teresa, these publications were, were crucial for the designer toy scene in the early 2000s because that was one of the only few ways to actually learn about the artists and overseas toys and toy releases. I mean, other than the toy blogs, I think... Social media-wise, Facebook was around, but that wasn't really how you were kind of discovering toys and stuff like that. So being able to pick up a publication and see a full article or a full spread interview on an artist or a company, that was pretty huge and really helped out. Nowadays, it's so easy. You just go to Instagram, search the hashtag designer toys, and down the rabbit hole you go. Yeah. And the message boards were huge. Oh, yeah. That's right. Huge. And it, and it was great because you were you had a direct connection from the artist to the fans, and then of course, like every message board, it just gets out of hand. And <laughs> <laughs> it's true though, but I do remember the you know the good old forum days because you're right. You can go to a, a kid robot or a stranger factory or there was a Sufubi one. I guess the name's escaping me, and or even Toy Break. You can go there and have a general toys discussion, but also a lot of the artists were in there themselves, and you can talk and engage with them. And that was something that was really cool. With like all good things, collectors whine and bitch, and immaturity happens, and and then social social media took over. But I can't remember the last time I went to a forum. I really can't. And um, honestly, we were kind of talking about this last week with our collector that came on. He was a Funko collector, and he was saying he's new to designer toys, and what he's noticed the big difference between Funko and our community is uh, we just don't have uh, like a centralized thing to go to where he can learn about what's going on within our community. Like he's within Funko, whether you're a pop collector or mystery minis or spastic plastic or wacky wobblers or whatever you're collecting, you can just go to the Funko website and the forums there and all the collectors there shit or chattering. And it's all centralized. We don't have that. We got so many different companies and self producers and artists and different types of collectors. We just don't have that one centralized location where someone new can come in and instantly learn about anything and everything that's designer toys and the history of and the releases. You just got to pretty much stay on top of social media and the toy blogs and and that's it and try to develop some friendships however you can. Yeah, there's not, like I said, you know, there's, there's not that, unless you have a place like back in the day, you usually had a brick and mortar near you. Yeah. that you would go and buy your toys from. And, you know, you had places in major cities or places you can go to, and uh, they're few and far between now. And yeah. uh, well, But that... that's, that's where you would go and meet people and actually meet 
artists and meet the owners of the toy store and you know they would establish a, a solid relationship with people and yeah that's it's all breaking down now mm-hmm. well and it's it's funny because i feel like for me personally i almost feel like i came in at the right time because I don't have really anything near me, places I could easily go, you know, and right now I'm finally in a position in my life that I've got enough money that I can make, you know, make it to travel to Decon or Five Points or what have you. But I feel like I would have struggled at the beginning without a lot of stuff on the internet or whatever to find or buy and having to go to specific events to purchase them. It would have been probably really hard for me. So in a way, I'm kind of glad that like I can go online and find a whole bunch of stuff and easily purchase. And the majority of what I buy these days is online versus in person at a store or an event or whatever. So for me, I'm happy. I can, <laughs> <laughs> I can buy all sorts of stuff. Kind of like what we were talking about state with, you know, stages with kid robot, you know, old, new, you know, change of hand and ownership and creative directors. It's sort of the same thing with the designer toy scene. We, we've seen different stages too. You saw the early days where people were producing runs of, Ten thousands and Sony was in the game and and things were selling out and there's you know Dunny events you would see it was a Dunny event back in two thousand four to two thousand eight they were just a different thing Teresa they were lines around the building and huge <laughs> trade parties at all the stores and that I just that it's gone it doesn't feel and I hope one day they can get back to do it I think I really think if Kid Robot can get rid of the pre-sale the pre-order part of their game. And just do the Dunny drop without the pre-sale. I think that'll help. I really do think that they can get back to where they won't get back to the the hype and that they had and the demand maybe they had in the past. But I think they can get close to that again. But that's something that I kind of wish you, Teresa, like when you, I can't talk to you about what the the heydays were, and that's so that's where someone I can talk to, Sket, and he's experienced it, he's seen it, and so yeah, you coming into it today, it's it might be better for you, but there was a time where it was vastly different yeah, yeah. I, rem- I mean honestly i remember this one weekend kid robot called me up and i, I was releasing uh the kid robot 13 and kid robot 12 at the same time that wow. i designed wow. and um they flew me from i went into new york stayed over in new york i went from new york i had a signing there the next day i went to la had a signing there spent the day in LA and then I flew from LA to San Francisco and had a signing in San Francisco and then went home from there. But every store I went to had a line going around the block and people waiting in line, um, for the release. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I got to see three cities in one weekend and, um, (laughs) and I got to meet and enjoy a bunch of different people from three different cities. And, Just having that was like, you know, electric. It was like, oh, this is awesome. Like, this is this is great. And it wasn't. It was because everybody I was involved with was cool. Like, there wasn't, you know, any hate or there wasn't any, I don't know, disgust or just like, I don't know. There wasn't any bad blood anywhere. It was just all good. Yeah. It was just an incredible thing to, you know, to take part in, and. uh I guess when I go to cons and I see and I get to attend cons and see all my friends and all my, you know, all the people that are involved, the, the same feelings there. But the electricity is just not it's different. It's just changed. It's different. And I never got to experience. I mean, that's awesome that you had a, a period of time where you 
had that really big family. I started this you know, podcast to have a family. And honestly, I want to say thank you to you. If you didn't start your herd back in 2012 or whatever, <laughs> I mean, I, there was Toy Break and then there was your herd. And I, Trey says probably before you came in, but there was um, the Your Herd podcast and they would talk about toys and real talk and that sort of stuff. So that's, yeah. you know, the fact that you did that with Ritzy and Kano and then Shane Jessup, I thank you for doing that because that kind of allowed me to kind of – I. I never thought I would be doing what I'm doing today, but the fact that you guys started that and then you guys stopped doing that. Yeah, you know. which which is blamed on me. Blamed <laughs> on me. Way to go. I told them to continue, but nobody wanted to continue. I was like, it's you know, you can continue with somebody else, but they were like, no, no. And Kano loves to blame me. Kano, <laughs> if you're listening, I know you love to blame me. But I just had too much going on at my life during that particular time. And I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but you work on the podcast and sure, it's hard you know, work. It's, it's hard work and it's hard work to get four people together at the same time. And four people who have four different separate lives and stuff like that. So, you know, at that particular time, I mean, honestly, I loved that time period. We had fun doing what we were doing, but, um, yeah, just, uh, my life in particular got a little bit too hectic. That was during the whole bad juju time. So, I, I get it. I, I do the podcast. We started the show with two different guys, and since then we've had interchanging, rotating co-hosts. And I can't imagine doing it where you had to try to get all four hosts. Like we, how many times we've gone without George? If we tried getting all of us, our schedules all in unison, it, it would just be too hard to do on a regular basis. And you guys were, I think, a monthly podcast, and we were trying to do it weekly. There's just no way we could do that. So sometimes we just have to go without all co-hosts present but like you said if right now it's definitely myself Teresa and George we have great chemistry great communication so if one of us dropped out maybe the show would end I don't know but for you heard I mean I miss I miss slow your roll (laughs) (laughs) that was a great segment but um yeah so I thank you for starting you heard because it basically gave myself a blueprint that yeah you can have an open and honest discussion about this little little toy scene. You don't have to come on and and kiss ass and say everything is amazing and stroke egos just to get ahead in the scene. I mean, I'm sure we've burned some bridges and stuff, but I like the fact that you can come on here and talk fairly about things, talk open about things, express an actual opinion about things. And I just like having discussion about the things I love. I love toys, and I love the artists in this community. I love this community. So I like being able to talk with George and Teresa and whatever guests we have on every single week and just talking about this thing that we're part of. It's good to have discussion. No, it's, you know, our particular view, you know, we would get into certain things. And, of course, they, you know, they were about – I might not even agree with some of the things that I said at the particular time that the (laughs) podcast was on, you know, now. I mean, everyone's opinions change, and you're allowed to do that. I mean, that makes you a human being. You know, you learn from mistakes, and you learn from speaking on things and going through situations and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. You know, we enjoyed it, and uh, we definitely do miss it. And we've been talking about kind of doing, like, an anniversary show or just come back. A reunion. Back. You should. Yeah, just come back as a reunion, just a one-off thing. But, you know, everybody's lives are just so busy now. I mean, all of us are just, you know, Ritzy uh, has Kanoa now and, yep. and Shane's been traveling and, you know, doing a ton of mural work and Kano's working at Cartoon Network and he's got his side stuff and his side hustle going on. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we all, we're all super busy. So hopefully it will come to uh, fruition. That'd be awesome. I love the show. It was really good. 
I enjoyed it. And I learned a lot of new words from that show, too. <laughs> I you know I, I'm not one for street lingo. I grew up in the suburbs of Phoenix, Arizona. So listening to you guys throwing out some new words, that was cool. <laughs> that was all keynote, Gary. probably. <laughs> what, Jerry? Why don't I ever? Why don't I ever hear you throw out the street lingo you learned? No, that's dope. <laughs> to hear someone like me say dope, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> asinine, but it works. Some other people can pull it off. Uh, yeah. Like like Eric, sad salesman. Eric, so sad. Yes, sad salesman. <laughs> Are you familiar with him, Scott? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's like myself, you know. It's so he he would comment dope on everything I made, like a post. He'd say dope. He says it's funningly, you know, funningly. See, this is another thing. I make up a lot of words on this show. Funningly is not a word. But when he came on the show, I, I had to call him out on using dope because it's just he's not allowed to use that word. Nope. <laughs> I like his work. Oh, yeah. No, his stuff's great. I mean, he was he's one of those guys that just started out self-producing. He's instantly become one of my favorites. And actually, this year he won Breakthrough Artist of the Year at the DTA. So we should be seeing a Dunny from him soon. Yeah, that's awesome so many people out there that are doing this stuff and i find that to be absolutely awesome i you know like he didn't need a big company or i just feel like nowadays everyone has a platform to scream from and if you have the passion and if you have the heart you can do you know you can scream yeah for sure you know if you had the motivation you definitely if you have all of that you can definitely succeed in this designer toy scene for sure but uh you know i just looked at the clock it's almost an hour and a half i can't believe how much ground we cover in this hour and a half but unfortunately <laughs> we're gonna have to start wrapping it up so before we do that how about we do a quick round of lightning questions with you okay sounds good to me all right so do you remember what your first designer toy was not your, not your first one but the first one you purchased um First one I purchased was Tristan Eaton's Brooklyn Key. Nice. Okay. Yeah. What was your most recent designer purchase? Most recent? Wow. <laughs> wow. Because the the thing is, is sometimes I get gifts, and sure. but my actual, actual purchase, um, it would be a snap, crackle, and pop like vintage. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Are you a vintage? Are you are you a vintage collector? Yeah, I'll. You know what? If it looks cool and it resonates with me, I buy it. Like yeah. that's. It's more of the feeling, and I don't even think about material. I mean, if it's vintage and it has some dings and some dents or something like that, then it doesn't bother me. Oh, Teresa um, couldn't have that. She likes her yeah. things crisp and pristine. <laughs> no, no vintage in Teresa's collection. Honestly, it's it's all for me. It's all the feeling yeah. that I get from the piece. Yeah. You know? Right. And, and that's how it should be. But Gary, vintage is a little different. Like I wouldn't necessarily expect to find there's something about the story in those dents to a vintage piece. That's a little bit different. It's not yeah. something I collect personally, but I totally respect it. And I think if I collected vintage, I'd probably have a different perspective on the quality. Yeah. And so. there's, there's something to have a little bit of history and a little patina and stuff. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I wouldn't want like a fresh out of the box Thing from the 50s like to me i'd rather have it a little look more. like yeah like look like it went through something okay uh is there a holy grail in your collection scott yeah i have an original shepherd fairy piece um wow. it's uh literally i bought it off ebay back in i want to say 2000 and i bought it from somebody who took it off the street okay and uh, Logan Hicks is on the back of it, so I actually have two pieces. Wow. But um, it's a street sign, and uh, 
I would say that would have to be the holy grail. That's awesome. That, that and my hand-painted Neil Blender deck by Neil Blender. Oh, that's right. You're a skater kid. Me too. Yes, I am. <laughs> Me too. I mean, all of us in our 40s, all the, all the males in our 40s seem to be skater kids. It's something we can all sort of relate to. Skate and graffiti. Without it, I don't know where I'd be. <laughs> all right. Uh, what was your favorite toy uh, growing up as a kid? Star Wars. Anything Star Wars. Nice. You know, just Star Wars figures. Are you still into it today? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't have a lot of like vintage Star Wars. I don't, I don't collect it per se, but I definitely do have Star Wars stuff in my collection. Okay. And uh, we're going to make the last question a tough one. If there was a Mountain Rushmore of toy designers, who would be on it? Oof. Uh, Mountain Rushmore of toy designers. God, there's so many different genres of <laughs> just know. toy designers. It's, it's, I can think about this question for days. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to go with my particular genre, like Western vinyl designers. Sure. Well, no, I can't because I have Michael Lau. <laughs> I, Michael Lau would definitely have to be in there. You know, Tristan would definitely have to be in there. Okay. Um, who else would have to be in there? Uh, Claws would have to be in there. Okay, one more. Um, one more. I'll throw Frank in there for good measure, just because you know. I'll be nice. I'll be nice to Frank today. (laughs) (laughs) Always be nice to your CD. All right, all right, Scott. It's been awesome. Great talking with you. Uh, We covered a lot of ground, so that was awesome. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining. Why don't you take a brief moment and let our listeners know where they can find you? Uh, You can go to skete-one.com, Instagram, um, skete underscore O-N-E. Yeah, that's probably the two main spots I'll be. All right, perfect. Teresa, where can people find you? If people want to find me, they can check me out on Instagram. My username is tmhawk24. And I am Gary Ham. You can find me at superham.com or Gary Ham on Instagram. This has been the Marsham Toy Hour. We do this every other week, not because we have to, but because we want to. So until our next transmission, we're signing off. And thanks again, Scott, for joining. I mean, uh, especially on your birthday. So enjoy the rest of your birthday night and have a great 48. Thank you. Yes, Thank you guys happy again. Birthday. I appreciate it. Yeah.